Back to the Bins proudly presents I've got a few things to say about Superman. <sighs> you know what? I like that opener. I just I don't like that voiceover. I've got to get around to, uh, to doing something about that eventually, especially if uh, I intend to go forward with this show, which uh, I do. It's the whole reason uh, here I am. It's a little after midnight thursday night actually well technically now it's friday morning and i know you're thinking uh, you know if you've downloaded this right away when it was posted you're thinking wow it's just saturday so uh you know this is freshy fresh he just recorded this yep and the whole reason i'm uh recording this when i'm recording this is um well you know what let me back up a little bit a number of reasons really but uh two big ones one I was uh, inundated recently with requests to give my opinion, to uh, to speak. Well, let's be honest. I think what it really was, I think the, the request honestly was, uh, let's hear you rant and rave some more about the new Superman movie. Or, you know, people asking my opinion, especially since uh, more footage has come out and trailers and that sort of thing. Um... Yeah, you know, I, I like to give folks the benefit of the doubt that they weren't just trying to to wind me up and you know wind the monkey kind of thing. But you know, I, I want to believe that. But on the, on the same token, uh, I, I think a lot of it was just really wanting to you know to hear me go off on a tear, so to speak. Now I know the name of the show is I've got a few things to say about Superman. And I didn't really think about this ahead of time, but it has been pointed out to me that that's kind of a passive-aggressive title. It may actually give folks the wrong impression about what the show is about, that maybe when they first started listening to this show, the impression they had was, ooh, this is going to be a good old-fashioned rant fest about Superman. Well, I'd just like to point out that there are many, many more episodes of podcasts that i have both done and guest starred on and things like that they those kind of episodes where i did rant and rave about superman uh, you know the mishand and what i perceive as the mishandling the the new in, newest incarnations of superman that sort of thing those episodes far outweigh the number of episodes i've done about this show so far so if you want to hear that sort of thing you can find that in many different places this show is intended as a celebration of Superman. What I love about the character... Superman is my favorite character. I, I don't know if I say that often enough. You know, I, I see a lot of my other friends uh, in the podcasting community that, that have Superman-related shows referred to on Facebook as, you know, the Superman guy or one of the Superman guys. I, I don't know that I've ever seen myself referred to that way. And i got to be honest... That bugs me because I'd like to be considered one of the Superman guys because I love Superman. Uh, definitely my favorite character. Definitely one of the, the two biggest reasons why I'm into comics and I, I got into comics and I've been in comics all this time. Love the character. Absolutely love him. Anyway, going back to the subject of Man of Steel for just a moment, I, I think a lot of folks have really been wanting to hear me give my opinion on the movie and, uh, like I say, maybe go off on a good old-fashioned rant, that sort of thing. Well, I'm going to have to disappoint you because ultimately 
I only have six things, six words rather, to say about Man of Steel. I don't plan to see it. <laughs> Those are your six words. So take that for what it's worth. That's uh, that's it in a nutshell about Man of Steel. Um, currently, no plans. Really not interested. Um, bottom line, doesn't look like Superman to me. That's not my Superman up there. So the the you know the the less said about that, the better I I feel because again, I want to get back to what I started to say before. The entire purpose of this show, the whole reason I'm doing this show, and a lot of the reason why I've considered changing the name of the show, since it has been pointed out to me um, how I've got a few things to say about Superman, might come off to some people. Um, yeah, I had thought a lot about it. As a matter of fact, ever since I came up with the new, uh, you know, the, the current opener to the show, I actually considered strongly changing the name of the show to, hey, it's Superman, because I've always liked that soundbite, you know, the, of the kid in the bus saying that but now that hey kids comics is part of our network um i don't want to do something that'll cause confusion between the shows or you know anything like that i don't want to step on their toes essentially you know we invited them here and uh and so i don't want that sort of thing going on so i don't know i'm still considering still kicking the idea around of maybe changing the name of the show i don't know we'll see how that goes but for the meantime um you know this is my my little superman show that uh that i want to do i want to try to keep it simple you know um i'm toying with the idea of of bringing back a, a number of either shows that i used to do or or you know uh i started to say skits not skits but uh segments that we used to do on two true freaks things like that things that have become homeless or that i just I've let slide, like, say, Jonah Hex, for example, things like that. I'd really like to try to get back to some of that stuff. But if there was one above all the others that was really important to me, excuse me, important to me to get back to, especially now, it was Superman. Superman's coming up in his 75th anniversary this year, 75 years old. And uh, that's a big deal to me. That's I think that's very important. It's a milestone. Now, I know... That everybody and their brother that uh, that has a podcast, whether they're Superman related or not, everybody that has anything tangentially related to to comics and geek stuff, more than likely they're going to at least do something related to Superman, a special, whatever. I know some people, you know, like my buddy Mike Bailey, planning to do uh, you know a majority of his year, uh, you know, this year rather of uh, of his show uh, Views from the Long Box on the subject of Superman. And, you know, I know other folks are, are planning things and, and everything. So it's not so much jumping on the bandwagon. Is, uh, you know, I, I have great faith in all of my friends that talk about Superman and, and the shows that they're going to put out and things like that. But um, I, I wanted to make sure that my take was out there. I wanted to sh- make sure that there was somebody out there representing my views uh, of the character, my feelings about the character, my passion and, and, and my love for this character and who better to represent me but me so um and also i had felt really bad that the show you know I, I put out what seven episodes i think and was really digging it and it seemed like you guys were too and then you know just sometimes just life gets in the way it, it was nothing more than uh you know i just i got busy and i got slack but i'm really going to crack the whip on myself this year to get this show out I'm currently planning to do it on a monthly format. And as a matter of fact, I pretty much have 
my 12 issues um, all picked out and set aside uh, for the 12 months of this year. I, I might throw some specials in there as well because, you know, there was there's definitely no shortage of stories that I would like to, you know, of Superman stories and, and things that I'd like to talk about in this year. But I really tried to, to narrow myself down to, you know, what are the, the, the 12 issues I'd really like to cover if I was really trying to illustrate why I dig this character so much, why he means so much to me. So uh, stick with me. I think it'll be an interesting ride. I think you'll enjoy this. Um, you know, I got some really nice feedback. And uh, please continue to write into the show. I know, like I say, it's been forever since I've done an episode. I did have some feedback um, that was supposed to make it to the show. I'm going to have to dig back through it, find that stuff, and, and bring it back out. But in the meantime, feel free to write in again and uh, and send me a whole new batch of feedback because I would like to cover feedback on the show. But in short, thanks for the folks that did provide feedback, whether it was email or just a, a quick note on Facebook or something like that. It does seem like you guys really dug what I was going for with this show. This is all totally off the cuff. Um, I'm planning to do this raw. You know, what you're hearing right now, I doubt I'm going to make any cuts in this, mostly because I just don't have the time. I'd rather just get the show out, even if it sounds a little rough around the edges, just to get the show out there. And I kind of like the idea of challenging myself to do basically what uh, Tom Caters does. You know, I mean, I don't want to rip, you know, I'm not trying to rip him off or even hold myself anywhere near his level that guy's a master but i like his shtick I, I like what he does he just sits down and and just burns off an episode and i'd like to challenge myself to see do i have that in me to just be able to sit down and just okay here's the issue here's what i think and that sort of thing so that's kind of what i'm going to go for with this uh not quite as polished not quite as slick but uh hopefully I'll be able to bring what you guys have... The, the word that has consistently come up um, in all the feedback is passion. You guys have all said how you could, you could feel my passion for the material um, in what I'm doing with this. So hopefully I'll be able to maintain that level. Lord knows I've got enough sugar and caffeine in me tonight. So hopefully uh, I'll be good to go. I am going to pick up exactly where this show left off. If you'll remember in the prior episodes, I was... Uh, more or less right in the middle. Actually, this issue right here, I believe, represents the middle of the story. We are in the... Uh, there, there's a number of different things I've heard this storyline referred to over the year. It's been referred to as the Virus X story. It's been referred to as the virus from Krypton or the leper from Krypton, whatever. The cover of this particular issue called... Uh, the story is um, the untouchable from Krypton. This is a storyline where Superman has contracted Virus X the kryptonian leprosy and uh it's gonna do him in this is action comics number 364 a 12 center uh originally from june of 1968 that's the the time in the uh, indicia according to mike's amazing world of dc comics this was actually on sale April 30th, 1968, which means I had been around for a whole 18 days when this issue came out. Um, and I think the issue I have has held up better than I have <laughs> in the uh, intervening years. So, there are no credits in this issue. This was still at a time when, uh, I guess, DC just uh, just wasn't putting anything in there to let you know who the people were behind 
the scenes the cover of course on this is by the incomparable neil adams and this is a great one this kind of cover right here is indicative of why i love neil adams and especially from this time period this is what i call the creepy comic book cover even though you don't get more mainstream than superman this is still a creepy cover it's just the way superman looks he's got the leprosy all over his hands and on his face and he almost looks like he's mutating into like swamp thing or a lizard creature or something You've got this team of doctors all around working with these cybernetic arms, taking readings or doing something. It's like they're probing and, and prodding Superman as he's uh, encased in this glass case to protect the doctors from the leprosy. And one of the doctors is saying, his heart's stopping. The world's strongest man is dying from a microscopic virus. And another doctor saying, Superman's last words were to cremate his body. And I'm thinking, where do you cremate Superman? Doesn't he, like, fly through the sun and stuff like that? He's saying uh, he wants to be cremated. He says, or Kryptonian leprosy will contaminate the earth. And in great big, uh, cool-looking old script for, you know, for how the comics were done back in these days. I, I just like the way the, the word untouchable is uh, written here, all kind of scrambly-looking. It just says all, uh, it's, excuse me, it says the untouchable from Krypton. It's the name of the story. Actually, on the inside, once we get to the inside, the uh, opening splash page, the story title has changed the untouchable of Metropolis, so couldn't make up their minds. Anyway, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, the writer on this story was Leo Dorfman. Penciler is Ross Andrew, and the inker was Mike Esposito. Now, as we left this story off, of course, you know, Superman's got the Kryptonian leprosy. He had gone back to the Daily Planet for reasons that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me i mean he had been begged by the citizenry of metropolis to uh, go away <laughs> you've got super leprosy you know you're gonna kill everybody go away instead he changed clothes to clark kent put on some gloves and went to the daily planet um he said something about you know tidying up his things and cleaning out his desk and it's not like dude it's not like you've been fired you've got leprosy super leprosy do the right thing get out of dodge but no he's gone back to the office now just as lois lane comes walking and this was at the tail end of the last issue she comes walking in just as he realizes that oh my god Half my face has now got the leprosy on it. He actually looks a lot like Two-Face. He looks like a, a, bespectac a bespectacled Two-Face, basically. And he's afraid that uh, Lois is going to see him and learn his secret. However, as we open up this issue, it's not Lois Lane that's walking in to the scene. It's actually Supergirl. But, of course, back then, these uh, inside, you know, the, the first page was typically basically a second cover it was just setting up the story so this isn't actually a scene this isn't where the story starts this is a scene from later on in the book I, I, the only reason i can think of that they used to do this is this is just a guess of course but i think it's because so many comics got circulated around coverless back at this time i, I know that i had a ton of coverless comics when i was a kid of course i lived across the street from a paper mill um but you know comics back during this time it had something to do with the way comics were sold a lot of times the co the covers would get torn off 
And the rest of the book was supposed to be destroyed, but still, a lot of times they still made their hand, their way into the hands of children uh, without those covers on them. And I think that I think the comic companies knew that that was going on, so I think that's why a lot of times these first pages were basically uh, another cover inside the book. Anyway, <laughs> Supergirl's walking into the scene. And Superman, he's got this uh, this thing all around him. Almost, it's reminiscent to me of um, of Dead Man, the way he has that like glowy effect all around him. But he's got like a, a thin white outline all around him. We're gonna learn more about this later. But he says, "Don't touch me, Supergirl." Only the oh, okay. We're gonna learn about it right here. He says, "Only the fiberglass shield." Uh, protects uh, from the Kryptonian leprosy, which is killing me. So he's got a fiberglass shield all around him. And uh, he says, when I'm gone, you'll have to take over my job. And and she says, Superman, no, you mustn't die. No one can fill your shoes. And it's got one of those great uh, Silver Age tropes going on in this story where Superman has written out his last will and testament. I love, you know... It's essentially a goofy little element, but I this, I love this kind of thing. It's like rather than being concerned with uh, you know any number of things that somebody with mere hours left to to live could be concerned with, he's taken the time to get out this parchment and you know in this very flowery script has has written out his last will and testament and uh it reads kind of strangely. He says, "I Superman, in my dying hours hereby appoint Supergirl to be the guardian of Earth, protector of the weak, defender of the oppressed. And uh, I wonder how she feels about this, you know? She's got her own life. She's got things going on. Is this really a job that she wants? Plus, I like just that that simple word, my job. You know, you got to kind of step back for a moment and go, wait a minute, Superman. How did, you know, this isn't like you applied for this in the newspaper. You know, how do you, how did this get to be where he feels like it's his job? That kind of bugs me only in the angle of, I, I would rather him use the words like my responsibility or my, uh, my obligation, you know, that he he does this out of a sense of I do this because it's the right thing to do. I do this because I've got the power. I I do this because well, you know nobody else really can do what I do. I have an obligation to to use my powers for good, that sort of thing. But my job, I don't know. It just it sounds a little funny to me. Anyway, uh, his last will and testament continues uh, to my pal Jimmy Olsen. I bequeath my collection of souvenirs of our adventures together plus a special sports car i made with my own hands <laughs> okay i don't know why jimmy rates so much i i've never quite understood the nature of their friendship and and all of that to lois lane the girl i hoped to marry i leave a string of priceless pearls i collected for her with all my love on the surface, that seems like a really sweet thing. But then you get to thinking, okay, it's Lois Lane. He says it's the girl I hope to marry. He's Superman. He could pretty much do anything or get anything for her. And this is what he chooses to leave for her is a, a string of pearls. 
I'm thinking, really? You know, you wouldn't want to do something that's going to kind of set her up for life. Uh, <laughs> string of pearls, just even if they are priceless, according to what he's written here, that seems like kind of a meager present coming from Superman himself. Lastly, he includes uh, Perry White in his will. He says, to Perry White, I bequeath the greatest scoop of my life, my secret identity. A month after my death, my yeah, my death, my death, <laughs> proof will be delivered by one of my robots. I guess that's a pretty that's a pretty decent gift. Um, it's it's a little after the fact, but I, I guess that would still sell newspapers. So on the next page, page two, the story proper begins, and right off the bat, this one starts a little oddly because it says high atop a darkened skyscraper, and they're not kidding. Um, it looks like. London during the Blitz here. Um, there is exactly one light on in the entire building. It looks like the whole entire block is blacked out. It's it's just it's very strange that it's so very dark. It, it looks like there's been a power failure in Metropolis. Anyway, so a single light burns in the editorial office of the Metropolis Daily Planet. Within, reporter Clark Kent ransacks his desk and he says. I must clean out my things and leave a note for my friends. And I'm thinking, I, I guess that's a nice sentiment, but it just seems like a very strange thing for Superman to do in, in his final hours. He even says, in a few hours, I'll be dead. So this is one of those stories that I feel kind of tips its hand right away when it's not just Superman, you know going to talk to his friends or getting on the telephone or, you know, the visiphone or whatever to say, you know, goodbye, my friends, I'm going to die. Oh, by the way, I was Clark Kent all this time. No, he's, you know, he's going there to, to, I don't know. It just seems a little bit strange to me. Anyway, backing up just a little bit to where we were last issue, we get a replay of the fact that uh, because of a conveniently placed mirror, which it actually looks like the mirror's, I don't know, on his desk or something? Anyway, he realizes that the leprosy is spread to half of his face just as Lois Lane comes walking into the room and she says, is that you, uh, is that you, Clark? What are you doing here at this hour? Now, I don't remember, of course, maybe it's just my lousy memory, but I don't remember it being quite this dark in the prior issue, but they're really going with the darkness thing here, that there's nobody there except the two of them, the lights are down, and... You wondered how Superman was going to get out of this. Well, he gets out of it by, at super speed, changing to Superman, betting on the fact that it was so dark in there that if he steps into the light as Superman, she'll simply think that, think that she mistook Clark for Superman. Or rather, Superman for Clark. Which is exactly what happens. She says, why, you aren't Clark, you're Superman. I heard about that awful disease. Isn't there anything I can do? And... He uh, plays it off that he had come there to leave a message for Clark, but uh, he's got to go. He doesn't want to endanger her. And there is a very sad scene at the top of page three as Superman flies out the window. Kind of beefy Superman, too, I have to admit. And uh, he says, I can't even kiss you goodbye without dooming you to the same horrible death. And it is sad. She's calling for him to come back, but uh, he doesn't. He doesn't want to uh, endanger her, and he flies off. Now, it's funny... At the bottom of page two, the last panel of page two, he looks like Two-Face. But as you start page three, the first couple of panels, um, wow, this is some fast-acting leprosy because it's now fully uh, spread across all of his face. His face is now uh, this weird uh, 
uh, he almost looks like uh, it kind of reminds me like a green version of like uh, the mummy or something is it's this weird I don't know it's not quite scaly it's it, it, I, I really think like, like mummified is the best uh, description of it but it, it's it's pretty icky looking it's spread all over him so as he's flying away he uh, looks down and he says, uh, "Oh, it's, it's he's flying on his last mission, his last patrol, just one last uh, bit of uh, normalcy for him before he's going to go off and do whatever he's going to go off and die, I guess." And he decides to go on his usual dawn patrol one last time. And he looks down and he sees a stick-up going on at the railroad yards, and he thinks to himself, "This may be my last mission." He goes flying down to stop these guys who are uh, robbing a uh, government gold shipment. And uh, they see him coming, and they've heard the news reports. They see what he looks like. They know what the, what the score is, and they practically beg him to stay away, that they don't want to catch this disease. In the meantime, there's been a, a special emergency session of the, uh, the UN has been called. And basically... The uh, speaker implores the uh, the members of the UN to summon their their best medical minds. They want to try to save Superman, which I thought was really nice. Um, there's a scene that's reminiscent of the cover on this, where Superman's inside this this. He's basically the boy in the plastic bubble, as all these mechanical arms uh, again poke and prod him, but ultimately. The bad news is, Earth science has no cure for Virus X. Superman is doomed. and uh, But they are nice enough to uh, fashion for him a germ-proof fiberglass suit that he can wear um, as he <laughs> goes about his business until the moment he's going to drop dead. Which is both really sweet and kind of creepy at the same time. Because, again, um, super leprosy. Why don't you do the prudent thing and get off planet or go to like Death Valley or back to your fortress to await the end? You know, that it may seem very cruel, but you know, his whole mission in life has been to protect people and save people, and now he is probably the biggest menace there is as he flies around all over Metropolis, you know, potentially, uh, potentially spreading virus X. I mean. Okay, yeah, he's invulnerable and all that, but he's still a, a, a living being. He's still arguably a human being. You know, yeah, yeah, he's Kryptonian, but I mean, come on, he's, he's essentially a human being. So that begs the question, you know, does he still lose skin cells? Does his hair still fall out? That sort of thing. If he's got this, this leprosy, you know, has there been a, a potential that, you know, pieces of it could flake off of him? You know, so even if he never touches anybody, you know, just simply, you know, touching a doorknob or, or walking around town, you know, is there still that potential that, that he could contaminate, you know, and spread this disease? Why take that chance, Superman? Fly away, save everybody, but he's still puttering around. Anyway, then we see this special news broadcast and we see Lex Luthor on television. It says, attention, Luthor breaking in on all channels. He says, the man who made Superman a leper, and I can cure him just as easily. 
And as soon as I saw this, I thought, wait a minute, I thought he was still in prison, which is funny because the next word balloon says, Luther is in Metropolis prison. How did he get on TV? So it's nice to, th- to see that the, uh, the writer was uh, immediately addressing the very first thing that came to my mind. We get a nice scene of a couple of guards checking on Luthor and confirming, well, pfft, it ain't him. He's right here. He's resting on his cot. So they're baffled. Well, of course, it turns out that uh, some of Luthor's henchmen, uh, they just have a pre-recorded uh, message from Luthor that they're playing from this uh, like radio truck nearby broadcasting this whole thing. And there's kind of this weird, goofy little pad. I really thought that this was kind of a padding out sequence where Luthor says that he has arranged for the Humane Society to uh, bring... Remember the cat from last issue? The cat that accidentally touched Superman and immediately contracted Virus X and I had thought immediately wandered off and died. I thought that was the whole point of that scene. Well, Luthor has arranged for these guys to bring that cat to the center of town for this dramatic demonstration of how Luthor can cure Virus X. And this weird force comes out of nowhere, zaps the kitty cat. All of a sudden, the kitty cat is perfectly fine. It's grown its hair back in an instant and everything. It's a, it's a very bizarre scene. So Luthor, he says, all right, well, I cured the cat. I can do the same thing for Superman. All I ask for is my freedom and $1 million. And I'm thinking, I don't remember who it was that that set this up years ago that, that got me to thinking about this. Somebody famous, and I can't remember who it was. The idea that a lot of times these supervillains would end up asking for a monetary figure that has got to be at a significant loss to the money that they invested in all the crazy inventions and giant robots and things that we see them use like all the time. So even back in 1968, I'm thinking $1 million was a lot less than whatever it cost Luther over the years for all the things we saw him invent, mostly as weapons to use against Superman. So $1 million, um, kind of a premium if it makes Luther go away. So, despite Superman's protestations, and I really liked this part, that Superman essentially said, you know what, even though I'm dying, I don't think you should give in to this guy. I liked that. I liked the nobility of that sentiment. That that Superman, I, I guess maybe it could come off to some people as a false humility, but I, I really bought it in this, that he doesn't, he doesn't think of himself as indispensable that he's like no you know let let me die it's not worth it to to give in to um blackmail i really liked that part of it but they do people love him and one of the cops that's with him says that you know your your friends essentially your admirers put the money up we're gonna pay off luther we we don't want you to die superman i like that i thought that was really nice so again, the plot gets a little bit wonky here, where it's ultimately revealed that it's all BS. Luthor just wanted to kind of rub new, uh, Superman's nose in it. Now, I had made all kinds of notes during this scene about, wait a minute, how the hell did, did uh, Lex Luthor arrange for the Humane Society to capture that cat? How did he even know about the cat? 
you know, how did anybody, I thought that scene happened in, a, in like the back of a dark alley with no witnesses kind of thing. I thought the cat was dead. I thought, how did he get the human, how did he even get in touch with the humane society? You know, there's, I, there was all these notes I had. Well, it turns out, of course, it's all a giant ruse. The humane society guys aren't humane society guys. They're Luther's henchmen. And they set this whole thing up. It's a it's a duplicate cat. It's not even the same cat. They had put false like makeup and stuff on the cat. And it was all a big ruse just so that Luthor could could get Superman to come to the prison so that he could basically go, yeah, 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 I killed you. And it's cool. It's an interesting scene. But ultimately, again, it feels like it's padding. It, it really is very silly. But, but the payoff to this scene that I really liked was there's, a, there's one panel at the end of this sequence where Luthor's gloating, essentially. He's got a big old grin on his face. Superman, wrapped in his fiberglass uh, shield, really has kind of a scary look on his face. He, he's scowling at Luthor. And uh, this is the kind of, uh, kind of face... That uh, and I know my 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 buddy Mike Bailey is going to love this, but this is the kind of face that these days you'd have Superman's eyes glowing red. And I love that in this they're not. He just has a really bad expression on his face. I really like it. He's thinking to himself, "This is what Superman's thinking. I could pierce this protective suit, touch Luthor, and he'd get the virus. But I can't break my code against murder." I like that. I like that for two reasons. I like that this shows Superman vulnerable. It shows that he he has the same um I won't say foibles or whatever that we do, but he he goes through the same pro- thought process that we do. You know, one of the things that that I've heard, you know, one of the criticisms I've heard leveled against Superman over the years is you know, he's a big boy scout and he's too good and he's too hokey and too corny and everything. I like moments like this where it shows that the difference between you and I and Superman is that it's not that Superman is too good to have, say, all right, take his x-ray vision, for example. You know, I know that if I had his x-ray vision, I'd just look into the girl's locker room, you know? And I, I've heard the criticism over the, well, why wouldn't Superman do that? Well, the difference is, is that it's not that he doesn't have the same temptations. It's maybe probably that he doesn't even have the same um, thought process. It's that he has the ability to to overcome that, to not give in to that baser side of his nature, to to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. So I like this scene because it shows that he's thinking the same thing I would be thinking at this point is, why don't I just twist your head off, Luthor? But he doesn't do it because he holds himself to a higher standard. In addition to being my favorite character, you know, and and again, this probably will sound really corny to some people, but I, I swear to God I'm being sincere when I say this. Superman's been my role model all my life. Now, I know I fall far, far, far short of ever approaching 
you know, Superman or being regarded anywhere near him. But that's kind of the, to me, that's the point of the character. And that's one of the reasons why I get so upset and, and defensive sometimes when I see interpretations of the character that I don't think are holding themselves to that ideal. That, that basically, I, I feel like modern interpretations of, of the character have tried to distance themselves from Superman as role model in an attempt to, I don't know, make him cool, make him relevant, make him hip, whatever. I kind of like him as a bit of a cornball if it means that as well as being a cornball that he's also a good guy, you know, somebody that you'd want to be, somebody that you would want to grow up to be that, you know, if you're a kid, maybe it's somebody you'd want to grow up to be or if you're a a teenager, maybe it's somebody that you would want to be your dad or something like that. I like that about Superman and I love being able to see inside his head in this moment and think, gee, you know, Superman's just like me. He's having the same temptation to just wring this guy's neck, but he knows that's not the right thing to do, so he, he doesn't do it. He lets go of that that thought and continues to be what he's always been, the good guy. I like that a whole lot, and it's one of the reasons I really, really enjoy this story, goofy elements and all. Anyway, so the next scene, and this is a really neat um, uh, transition between the scenes. We get this really dynamic shot of Superman swooping down out of the sky, approaching his Fortress of Solitude. And what I like about this is up till now, um, as much as I really dig the art in, in this story and everything, Ross Andrew has basically been delivering, um, and I hope this doesn't sound like a like a negative thing or like I'm, I'm harshly criticizing but he's pretty much been been drawing in a very um what i would call a very standard style of the times meaning it, it pretty much looks like everything else that that dc would have been putting out during this time period but here he breaks that mold because he has a giant superman swooping out of the sky as the transition in the scene but he's breaking all of the panels on the page this this one figure of superman this is more something I would associate with somebody like, say, uh, Neil Adams or Jim Aparo or someone like that than I would associate with someone very, very mainstream drawing a very, very mainstream book at a time when that book wasn't uh, wasn't even thinking about trying to break any sort of new ground or you know forge new you know innovative art techniques or anything like that. Yet it does, and I really like this panel. Anyway, he comes streaking out of the sky. In the distant Arctic, it says, and uh, he sees Supergirl waiting for him, and he thinks to himself how you know he's very grateful that he has this fiberglass suit because it you know he's hoping it will protect her from the microbes in his own system. You know he cares about his cousin; he doesn't want to endanger her. As he flies in, he sees that she has in her hands a Phantom Zone projector, and I thought this was a weird bit of dialogue. He says. What are you doing with the Phantom Zone projector? It's the most dangerous weapon in my super arsenal. It is? Now, I know exactly what the Phantom Zone projector is. I love the Phantom Zone. It is one of my favorite elements of this era, of this incarnation of Superman. I've always thought the Phantom Zone was a a great, great idea. It, It was a great just piece of the mythos from this era of Superman. 
But essentially what she has in her hands is something that will open a gateway, open a portal to the Phantom Zone to either project things into it or draw things out of it. Um, why he would call that a, a weapon it seems very strange to me because I, I, I'm not sure how you exactly weaponize the Phantom Zone projector. I guess what, what he may be meaning is, you know, there's definitely the potential of, you know, disaster if it were to fall into the wrong hands or whatever, and you released the criminals from the Phantom Zone, which is a story that I hope to uh, to cover this year on the show when just a, such a scenario happens. What happens when the denizens of the Phantom Zone get loose, essentially? So I guess from that angle, maybe that's what he's talking about. Anyway, she has come up with a brilliant scheme. Remember uh, Superman's childhood chum, Monel? Well, the whole story with Monel, and of course, Supergirl knows this story because, in a weird bit of, oh gosh, I don't even know what you would call it, I guess temporal mechanics or something like that. Okay, so Superboy, he had this friend named Monel when he was, you know, when he was Superboy, when he was a boy. He made friends with this guy, Monel. And in the in the course of the original Monel story, Monel came to Earth, and uh, for the longest time, he thought, or it was inferred in the story, that Monel was actually Superboy's older brother, that he was actually another son of Jor-El. And Superboy began to doubt this through the course of the story. So at the very end of the story, he exposes Monel to Kryptonite. And when Monel starts to, you know, act like he's dying, Superboy says, "Aha! Now I know you're faking because this isn't kryptonite at all." And he busts one of the kryptonite balls open, and he shows Monel that it was actually a big old ball of lead that he had painted green. Well, it turns out Monel's not faking; that he was actually dying of lead poisoning because he wasn't a Kryptonian. He was a Daxamite, and Daxamites have the same reaction to lead that Kryptonians have to Kryptonite. How that works exactly has never really been adequately explained to me, because Kryptonite, you know, a piece of Kryptonite gave off a specific kind of radiation that Kryptonians absorbed into their cells, and it would kill them. Lead in these early stories with Monel, lead was doing the same thing. Well, lead to at least what I've ever heard, it doesn't give off anything. It's not like it was emitting lead radiation or what. It's kind of silly. Anyway, though, so he's dying, and it was an incurable thing. Superboy didn't know what to do. Didn't want to be responsible for the death of his friend. He didn't mean for this to happen. So, in order to save Monel's life, he projected him. Uh, into the Phantom Zone, which was a place where, yes, he was going to be a bodiless wraith, but he would never age, he would never be hungry or cold or hot or anything, he would never die. And he could be there, you know, until Super Superboy, uh, and eventually became, you know, of course, Superman, until he could find a way to cure his friend. The tragic thing about all that story is he never did. A thousand years later is when he was finally released from the Phantom Zone to become, you know, one of the the sterling members of the Legion of Superheroes, which is how Supergirl knows him. Now, this is the wonky part. Supergirl, 
eventually became a member of the Legion of Superheroes, doing the same thing that Superboy did traveling into the future. So she would travel into the future, you know, a thousand years from when she lived, to join up with the Legion and have adventures of them. Well, Superboy was doing the same thing. So essentially, you had Superboy, who was, you know, of course, the younger version of Superman, meeting up, you know, that th these two characters would meet up and, and be on the same team and have adventures together and everything. Yet, how exactly did that work when Supergirl first showed up in Superman's life? He didn't have any awareness of her and didn't know she was coming. I never really understood how that worked. I, maybe that was one of those things where they wiped his mem... Because you know, there was a thing that came up in the Legion later on where the Legion was consistently wiping Superboy's memory of things that he might accidentally discover while he was in the future to keep him from you know, wigging out or whatever, you know, like the fact that the, you know, how the Kents eventually died or how he himself eventually died, that sort of thing. So maybe that's what was, I'm not really sure. I'd have to go back and look at those stories again. Anyway, I'm sorry. I've gotten sidetracked. So she's come up with this brilliant idea. She's going to project Superman into the Phantom Zone. May not be the best thing. Yeah, the, the Phantom Zone was full of all these scary criminals and everything, but at least it would mean that Superman would be alive somewhere until hopefully the, the glorious day would come when they could cure him of Virus X and, and he could rejoin the world of the living and he could be Superman again. Well, it's the best they got. So she fires up the projector and she's going to send him there. However... The Phantom Zone villains are like, oh, hell no. We don't want no leper in here with us. So they actually had the ability, the Phantom Zone villains did, to pool their mental resources. And sometimes they could affect the physical world, especially when it was important to a story like this one. So in this one, all, all we see is just two of the Phantom Zoners. All we have is a Jaxer... And Professor uh, Vaycox. Um, but apparently just the two of them are enough to combine their mental resources. And they effectively block Superman's projection into the zone. Not only does it uh, put a whammy on the Phantom Zone projector. But somehow or other it actually damages Superman's fiberglass shield. So now he's exposed. And he's upset that he's endangering his cousin. He doesn't want anything to happen to her. Just at the same time, an alarm goes off in the nearby bottle city of Kandor. Supergirl decides to respond. So she uh, shrinks to miniature size, dons a parachute and goes into the bottle city. Once she's there, she gets a mental message or excuse me, a t like a television type message from Superman saying, uh, I'm sorry I tricked you. There wasn't any alarm. I just wanted you in Kandor so that you were safe and I wasn't endangering you anymore. Goodbye. Then he does some weird stuff I don't really understand. He destroys all of his weapons in the Fortress of Solitude. And I'm thinking, dude, some of that stuff could have come in really handy. You're not going to be here tomorrow. Why are you destroying all these weapons that you know may benefit? Because he says... They're too dangerous for even Supergirl to use. Which I'm like, well, that's kind of the point, you know? I mean, you're, you're leaving a young girl to take your place. Maybe she could use some of this stuff. Then he, uh, I love this part. He's lo it's shown locking this giant safe door 
and the side of the safe says top secret not to be opened until 2068 and for a moment for just for a moment while i was reading this i thought wow that's a random year and then i remember oh duh 1968 it's 100 years in the future so as he's locking it up he's thinking to himself there are many secrets in my life that would cause earth-shaking repercussions if they were revealed uh, I've left orders to keep them sealed for a century after my death. And I'm thinking, what is this? Is this his porn stash? You know, what? what's in? I would love to know what's behind this door. Um, I'm not sure we ever got this. We certainly don't get it in this story. Maybe I need to re- dig out my copy of uh, Superman and his amazing Fortress of Solitude. Maybe it's talked about in there. I'm really not sure. But, uh, man, I'm curious. Now, I really want to know what the earth-shattering secrets are, the uh, earth-shattering repercussions. So we see Superman in front of the UN building. And this guy that I imagine is the, the speaker, whatever, what do they call the guy, that the head dude at the UN? I forget. Anyway, he comes out, and he's this weird-looking little toady guy. And uh, everybody's wearing black. And there's this giant very um uncomfortably phallic looking rocket with a superman shield on the side of it standing in the courtyard and the guy says uh, superman all earth is mourning we'll build you a mighty memorial and superman cuts him off he says no memorials no tears as a climax to my super career this spacecraft will carry me to the hottest sun in our universe thinking he means galaxy it will be my funeral pyre I want to remind you, his uh, fiberglass shield broke. So once again, Superman (laughs) endangering millions of people as he gives this address. It's a sweet sentiment, and I'm sorry to laugh at the scene because I really do think this is a touching scene. I really enjoy this. As I was reading this, I got a little choked up. As I was originally reading it today, I mean. Um, But reading it again in this scene, I'm always struck by the scenes where it's like Superman jesus for the love of god dude you're you're endangering everybody but anyway so turn the page last page of this chapter of the story and uh it's a heartbreaker superman uh he ascends the stairs he's standing at the open uh open entryway into the rocket and he says i want all my friends to remember me as i was so i'll wear this rubble rubber mask in my final moments with you and he actually he puts on a a rubber mask that looks like his original face um just so that he doesn't look so hideous to everybody next panel breaks my heart um it's lois lane and she looks a lot like jackie onassis in this uh you know jacqueline kennedy uh you know the, the the jfk's wife just the way she's drawn the hairdo she's got and everything and she's uh, she's crying her eyes out and she calls to him and she has to be restrained by jimmy olsen she says superman don't leave us she says we need you and uh jimmy's holding her back and he says lois get a grip on yourself don't break down now and as the funeral capsule takes off the world's flags fly at half staff and we see the u.n and uh, the flags have all been lowered, and the rocket's taking off. And this man and his son are standing there, and the little boy says, Dad, is it true Superman was the world's greatest hero? 
And the boy says, yes, son, Earth will never know his like again. And even in the state pen where Luthor is imprisoned, we see this uh, this weird panel. It just says, Howie! And I thought at first that this was Luthor like giving some sort of victory yelp or something, but it turns out that it's actually the prison siren is giving a final salute to Superman as the rocket takes off into the sky. And Luthor is actually... Now, his, he's kind of... He's like three quarters, like nine tenths turned away. We can just see like a, a, we're looking at him from the back. We can just see like a little bit of his face and he's obviously frowning, you know, his, his lips are downturned, but you could also, you could almost imagine that if you could see the front of him, that he might even have tears in his eyes. It's hard to tell, but he is turned away from us. And he's got a, you know, he's got a dour look on his face. And he's just saying, he was my worthiest foe. He says, it seems crazy, but I'm going to miss our duel of wits. I liked that. I liked that a whole lot. And in the very last panel, it's actually a strip panel that takes up the entire height of the page. But it's, uh, it's like a third of the page, um... But it's you know as, as tall as the entire page. I don't know if I've described that very good, but it's it's a strip that's the height of the entire page, but it's a, it's a third of it in the in the width, and it's a shot of the entire length of the rocket, and there's like this see-through um, portion of it. Essentially, it's a space coffin where you can see into it, and you can see Superman reclining with his eyes closed. It looks very much like he's already passed. And it's flying away into deep space. And it says, Too late for regrets, Luthor. Even now, Superman is hurtling towards the flames of the distant sun, which will be his last resting place. And it simply says, We'll follow the rocket's flight in the next issue. And, uh, yeah. This one chokes me up. It's, uh, you know, it's it's all over for him. It's all over for Superman. He's uh, he's wrapped up his affairs. He's passed everything off to uh, to his cousin. He said his goodbye to his girl and his friends and uh, and the planet that uh, you know he swore to protect and everything. And uh, and that's it. He's going off to uh, he's going off to die. And this was powerful stuff when i was a kid i really dig on this story i still dig on it yes a lot of it's nostalgia but i still think goofy elements uh, wonky logic and everything taken into account i still think this is a pretty darn good story i think it's a very powerful story and uh for as silly and as wonky as it may get that final couple of pages with superman basically resigning himself to what's going to happen and uh making that little speech in front of the un and then flying off uh you know to his final reward is uh it's touching it it does it gets to me so where does it go from here well there's uh there's still a couple issues uh left in this storyline so uh come back with me next time uh, we're going to look deeper into this the uh, next time around is, uh, excuse me, uh, Action Comics 365, the saddest story ever told, Superman's Funeral.
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of DiManzocor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look up on the screen. It's Superman. Superman, the movie.